back to Backbeat Conversations. On this podcast, we like to talk about all the facets of the music industry and bridge the gaps between them. So I'm Julian Francis, and I'm here with my co-host, Elena Henry. And this week, we have our guest, Daniel Meyer. Hey, how's it going? Hi, Dan. Hi, Dan. Hey. <laughs> yeah, I got Daniel. So formal. <laughs> I don't think I've ever called you Daniel. No one really does. I've never Probably went not. by that. Yeah. So, Dan, can you give the listeners a brief introduction of yourself? Well, I am Dan Meyer, not Daniel. Dan Meyer. <laughs> I'm a recording engineer, mixer, producer, educator, if you want to like, kind of go over all the facets of it. So I basically do a lot of freelance work where, you know, I record people, produce, mix. It's kind of what every engineer does these days. Working out both ThinkLad Studio, and then I also work out of the York College Studio, where is my other, I guess, I don't know, my more formal job of being an educator and a professor, and I also manage the recording studio there. Yeah, I'm kind of all things audio. I'm an audio nerd. That's the easiest way I can explain it. Yeah, you definitely are. I, I get that vibe. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of York, what made you want to go to York College? Well... I mean, basically for me, like, I, I knew I wanted to do recording, and not a whole lot of places offered that degree. York did. And I kind of picked, I picked it for, like, A, because I had a degree, B, because it was, like, the perfect distance from where I grew up. I wanted a place that was far enough away that I could live there, but close enough that, like, if anything happened family-wise, I could go home, that kind of stuff. And outside of that, like, I kind of just liked the vibe. I don't really know how else to explain it. It's like, was there, I met the faculty, and they were just super inviting. I, like, I did my audition felt very comfortable with them like I just felt comfortable and for me that's actually saying a lot because most of the colleges I went to I felt very out of place didn't feel like I belonged there didn't really feel like I connected with the faculty in a way so honestly for me that's what it came down to yeah I feel like we've gotten basically that answer from most people it's like well they had the degree and then I went and the vibe was right yeah which, I mean, especially in a music major, I think that counts for a lot. It sounds kind of silly. Yeah. Like, I know it does, but for a music major, it does matter in a way. You know, as a recording engineer and a producer, like, one of my jobs is making an artist comfortable. So that's about vibe. That's about cultivating an atmosphere where they can be creative and do their best. And that means even me being, a, like, the personality myself, I don't put them under too much pressure. You know, I make them feel relaxed and I can get the most out of them. So in a way, I think you can apply that even to the college atmosphere of like for a music major, if someone wants to go into a creative field, if you feel comfortable, like you can be creative there and at home, you're going to do better at your craft, I think. Right. Especially like you have to work with people a lot. Oh, yeah. It's very collaborative. And I'm sure you do in other majors, but like music is the one where you have to walk in and all play the same song. Mm-hmm. Well, I know my friend would. I was like, what do you mean you don't have any friends? She's like, we all go to class and then leave. Yeah. In in our program, we were forced to, like, make friends immediately. You all are together oh, yeah. and doing things. And I guess in her major, they would just, like, do bio and go back to your room. Yeah. Yeah, not as much of a thing for you guys, but, you know, when I started there in 2012, the bench area, like, in that hallway, I was even told by faculty members, I was like, oh, you want to make friends? Just hang out here. And that's kind of what I did. And still everyone happens. just hung out there. You met so many people. Yeah. And, yeah, it doesn't sound like it's changed a whole lot. It has not. No. <laughs> Like, it's one thing if you're bored or just need a break from practice, you would just go hang on those benches and there bound to be someone else there and you just hang out. And that's that's how I made some of like, my best friends there, honestly. Go there if you needed a nap, too. That, too. Yeah, someone will come talk to you if you're sitting there. Oh, yeah. So, in the same vein, what made you want to, like, work at your college? Was it the same thing? Kind of. It really was a thing that it just fell into place for me in a way. I feel like I had to, like, backtrack to me even being a student because that's I really worked there because I was a student and because people noticed me as a student um as a student you know what is ymg now and like what you guys are doing used to be just ycp records like that was all that existed we didn't have all these other like sections to the group and it was very much student run like dr young came in at a point but i mean the group actually existed prior to him and we were trying to do things prior to him he just helped us out when he got there but that being said so like i was in a leadership role with that i kind of just I forced my way into situations. I don't really know how else to explain it. It was just something where I knew what I want to do. Like I knew I needed to get a portfolio for this career. I knew I needed to get experience. And I just wanted to record. I wanted to work musicians and I was going to find a way to do that. And unfortunately, um, you know, you guys didn't have a cool studio manager back then that would like let you into the studio early. So I didn't have access to the studio for the first two and a half years I was there. So that's more than half of my time at the college. And I kind of just got to a point where I was like, this is ridiculous like I want to get in there um so I kind of like beat on enough doors and stuff like that and made enough of a fuss that I was able to like eventually get access to the studio kind of just 
I don't know, I, I, people noticed me. I did enough that people noticed, and I made sure they noticed me. Um, so that being said, when I finally graduated in 2016, it was only, it's probably July of that summer, so like two months after I graduated, that Dr. Young reached out to me being like, hey, we just built this new recording studio. Do you want to manage it, basically? Because um, I was already kind of doing that role in the old space. Mm-hmm. I just was, I wasn't officially the studio manager until like my last semester there, where I did it as a work study. Um, but I was the one always in the studio. I was that person that all hours of the day, you would go into the studio and I'd just be there messing around with stuff, trying to figure things out, teach myself or whatever. So, I mean, I guess I just came to mind for whatever reason with him when he needed a studio manager. And it was one of those things I was still in the area. So I grew up in the Philly area, but I was out doing audio tech work for Hershey Entertainment at the park. Um, that summer I was staying out there and it kind of just found the place where I was like, well, what am I going to do after this contract's done? The summer's over. And this opportunity came and it was like, well, okay, I get access to a studio whenever I want. And I have access to gear that I don't personally own. Um, it's an opportunity for build more of a portfolio, keep getting my name out there and just keep grinding and like have access to things. So I kind of took the staff job because of that. And it just kept progressing. It was a weird, like some amount of luck. And I just had enough, like just enough skill to time to take advantage of the opportunity, basically. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it wasn't like I went out of my way to work at your college, but I was familiar with the place, it was comfortable, and it kind of just worked out for me. Just happened. Sort of, which is not unusual in this industry. There's a lot of people that would have similar stories, I think. Even the people I brought in for our live sound class and stuff like that had a lot of right. similar stuff where it's like, they had a drive and a passion for it, and then when opportunity came, they just took advantage of it, basically. Um, like there is an amount of luck to this stuff, I think, but it's also in a way you make your own luck. Cause yeah, yes, there's an amount of luck to it, but if you kind of keep putting yourselves in positions and just, you know, taking chances, eventually you're, you're, you're making it as fear where it's more likely for opportunity to come to you. You're not just sitting around waiting for it. You're still actually doing things so that when the opportunity does pop up, you can actually make the most of it. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's something people don't realize a lot. Like, you you can't just expect that w- one day someone's going to walk up to you and be like, do you want a job? Like you said, you were that guy who was always, always, always in the studio. Yeah. So, of course, Dr. Young was like, you want a job. And frankly, like, I don't even know if I was the best engineer at the time. I mean, I was most known because I kept putting myself out there. I had a roommate at the time. I was also the same major as me and all that stuff. And he was kind of like, to me, like no disrespect to him, but he was the, you know, what happens when talent doesn't work hard. Very good at what he did, like awesome engineer and all that stuff, but he never took chances. He never put himself out there. Um, like he didn't get involved in uh, YSP records until after I did. Like he kind of followed me with things. Once he saw I did it, he's like, oh, I can do that too then. Um, mm-hmm. And he's very good at it. Like he's a great engineer. He really was an awesome musician. He was very skilled. He just didn't have that weird, like that motivation to put himself out there. And he didn't really want to take chances. And I think that's kind of, I don't actually know where he's now. I should probably reach out to him and see how he's doing. But like that was something I always saw that I was kind of like, that might bite you in the ass later. Right. I guess kind of to that point too, since we're working in academia and under that purview, I think a lot of people expect they get this degree and then they sit around and wait for a job to come because they're like, I have a degree. Jobs are just going to come to me. And you know, like in your parents' generation, your grandparents' generation, maybe that was kind of the case more so, but it doesn't work that way, especially not in the music industry. No, I agree. Because a lot of people I know, like, I think every single person I talk to is like, you don't need a degree to do that job, but having the degree is good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing I always tell students, like I've tried to say to you guys multiple times, is that it's more about like using the resources the college has. Like, that's why you're paying for this experience. That's why you're going here. Not to get that piece of paper at the end. Because, you know, it's depending on what you want to do. If you want to go work in, like, Foley or with, like, big studios like Disney for movie stuff, the degree plays more of a role, like, the actual degree piece of paper. But I think more to the point of going to college now is the fact that you're going to be around a lot of people who are like-minded, trying to do the same thing as you. Like, these are the people you can network with, that you can start building relationships with, with now. And, you know, in the future, you know, they may have an opportunity that they can't take advantage of. So they're like, oh, I remember my buddy from college. I'm going to reach out to them and see if they want to, like if they can do this, it can work that way. And you can trade things like that. A lot of it is you really have to be friendly with your competition. And I think college can set a nice precedent for that, where you can start building relationships young, where you're not meeting them out in the job market where it feels more competitive. Like you meet them as a friend and you can kind of keep that relationship. Cause I'll tell you the best engineers in this field are the ones that have the most success are the ones that are friendly with everyone that don't see their competition as competition. They see them as like people trying to do the same thing, people that can work together with. Yeah. College kind of gets you the crash course in how to work with people, Mm -hmm. be their friend. 
Yep. You also get industry professionals coming in all the time, doing lectures or whatever that you can network with. You have access to a studio that like it's hundreds of thousands of dollars. Like if you add up the space and the gear, that place is probably around $700,000 in value. You're not going to be able to just go and get that out of yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like being able to use that to your advantage, like that's the point of college. So I guess as on the educator side too, what I get frustrated is when I see students not taking advantage of those things. Cause it's like that, that's why you're paying for this. Like you're, you're really not paying for the piece of paper. I mean, again, depending on what you want to do with it, but I'm assuming you want to do this as like an engineer or producer or something like that, doing more in line with, like, with what I do. And when it comes to those things, the degree doesn't matter as much. If you want to do more the business side and the industry side, yeah, degree will definitely play more of a role. And again, when I say degree, I'm literally just talking about that piece of paper, not the experience you have as like in academia. Right. Like the, the thing they hand you at the end yeah. when you walk across the stage. What's the saying? Uh, C's get degrees. <laughs> yeah. So like you can still be semi-mediocre and get that degree. Yeah. So, like, that's unfortunate, but that is the truth. And when you go up to a studio or you want to work with an artist and have to earn their trust to, you know, help them make their album, they're going to want to hear what work you've done and how you've proven yourself. The degree is like, okay, cool, but I had a buddy that went to college too, and he slept in all his classes. Right. So the degree doesn't tell them what you are necessarily. It really is your body of work. But that being said, college allows you this opportunity to start building that body of work before you graduate. And that's really, like especially want to be into the like engineering production side of stuff. If you're not doing that while you're in college, you're really kind of throwing your money away, I think. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So what is it like to work at ThinkLoud Studios? And also tell us what ThinkLoud Studios is. Okay. Um, so I'll start with the what. So ThinkLoud is basically this beautiful multi-million dollar studio in York City. Um, not the kind of place you would ever expect to find there. It's kind of, it's very comparable to like the bigger studios you would find in Nashville or LA or New York, like the actual music hubs. Um, it's definitely what I would call diamond in the rough. And the reason it exists is because basically the rock band live is based out of York. So they're a band that even older than my generation, like I didn't listen to them growing up, but my parents' generation and all that are more familiar with them. Um, they were huge in the nineties, had like their multi-platinum, their biggest album was Throwing Copper that came out in like 1994, which was the year I was born for reference. Um, so definitely not a band I listened to, but that being said, they still had a lot of notoriety and they also were lucky enough to be in the music industry in a time where you could really make a lot of money in the music industry. Um, more than you make now probably, but basically they did their whole rock star thing. They had their ups and downs and then kind of started coming back home more or less. Um, moved back into the area and they built this beautiful recording studio with their business partners. And it was really just a spot for themselves. Like they didn't build it as a commercial space. It was actually built back in 2014. And it was really just for the band and their friends because they liked having their own space. And, you know, they had like Everclear, Candlebox, other bands that kind of came up around the same time as them and were friends with them. They came in and did some work. But outside of that, they really didn't use it commercially. And then it was around 2018 where Chad Taylor, the guitarist of the band Live, decide he was going to open it up commercially to the public. Um, it was actually in 2017 that he decided and then officially in 2018 we opened, but I came on in 2017 to kind of start getting things rolling and gearing us up to open commercially. Um, so that's how I started working there. And this actually, I'm going to backtrack again, but it's relevant. A big reason I got the gig is because of my relationship with Dr. Young and the college. Again, right place, right time is I took the job at the college and I was staffed there and working. And it was the year, it was around 2016, 2017, probably more 2016, where Chad was, he started coming to the college more. He was making relationship, starting a relationship with Dr. Young. Um, they were working together on some stuff. Chad was coming in coaching the rock band. So I got the opportunity to meet Chad. Um, actually, I lied. Sorry, we've been probably, I think Chad came in a few times when I was still a student and I didn't know him very well back then. Got to know him better, though, as I was staff. Uh, like, you know, I got to go out to dinner with the two of them and all that stuff. We would hang out. So I got to know him a bit better. He got to understand I had, like, some skills and all that stuff. And so, again, when it came time for him to open the studio, I was one of the people he thought of. It was really also lucky because he could have probably hired more well-known engineers, but he wanted younger engineers that he could bring in and teach his way and, like, you know, kind of give them, you know, also a jump start and stuff like that. So... I was lucky in that respect that that was the goal he had in mind. That's how, why he wanted to bring me in instead of hiring a more well-known engineer at the time. So yeah, I worked there all through 2018, really just assisting Chad. I, I kind of wore whatever hat they needed me to. Like I was an engineer within like engineer my job title, but you know, I fixed gear for them. Uh, I taught myself how to solder, which I really didn't know how to do at the time and then kind of <laughs> BS my way into, cause I saw there was a need for it. I saw, Oh, there's gear that's getting broken. It's literally like, 
one solder connection broke. It's not this big, like the CPU crash or something like that. It's a simple little connection. I can teach myself how to do this and go do it. So I did. Um, and that actually gave me some job security too, because it started with three of us there. One of our engineers was just out, like completely fired basically, just because the studio wasn't profiting as much as Chad would like. Were, it just wasn't going the way, like as fast as we wanted to. Um, so it didn't make sense to pay as many bodies to be around. So one person was let go. And then the other person I was with, kind of fell into a different role um they weren't engineering or doing that stuff as much they were doing more stuff for chad uh like more they were getting becoming more directly employed by chad rather than mm-hmm. um employed by the studio still working for the studio and they were actually managing the studio um but doing less of the engineering stuff like that so all i have to say is basically you know me being able to fix this gear and teach myself this stuff gave me just a little more like a leg up and a reason to stick around so i did that for a little over a year i was a staff engineer there and then it was around February of last year, so 2019, I switched over and became uh, an independent contractor for them. So I still work out of the space. I just do less of the day-to-day. And I actually start my own business through that. So like basically, my, they're a client of my business in a way. Or they'll bring in me as the engineer for like some of their own clients they don't have. They don't, so I'll say this, ThinkLab does not have any staff engineers right now. Um, there's no like paid staff. So it's really run by Carson Slovak and Grant McFarlane, but they are actually clients of the studio as well. They rent the space and all that. So ThinkLoud as it exists today is really a space um, that gets rented out to engineers. It doesn't have like its own production team at the moment. I guess Carson and Grant are pretty close to that because they have such a full calendar. They're there literally every day. <laughs> but I mean, outside of that, they're not actually paid by the studio. They pay the studio to be there and then the clients pay them. Yeah, Carson and Grant are making Chad's money back for him, basically. <laughs> kind of, yeah. So what would you say, like, your favorite part about mixing music is? Like, I guess what I'm really asking is why why that? Why music you production? fall in love with that? <laughs> yeah. So I, mean, I guess I'll, I'll start with why I started recording. And it's kind of the story you'll hear most engineers say is, I was in a band. And we needed to record. And I thought, eh, it can't be that hard. <laughs> that was harder than I thought. Um, that band, that was like back when I was in high school. Uh, that band did not, I did end up going to record with someone else. We didn't end up making it happen. But I did enough with that band to realize, like, oh, I, I kind of like this. And what I liked about it is, it's probably a mix of a few things. Is As a musician, I started as a drummer. And I guess it allowed me to be more creative than outside of just drums. It helped me get a deeper understanding of music as a whole. And I really liked that big picture view. Well, it's it's both. It's a big picture and it's also being able to see the fine details of stuff too. And it was just the the creative aspect of it. It opened up the door for me um, early on with my band in ways where like, you know, I would try to give my guitarist ideas I could hear in my head. I had a really hard time translating those ideas of, oh, I really want you to play this, but I don't play guitar and I don't know how to describe what I'm hearing in my head for you to play. And being able to record kind of helped with that. Like I was able to sit down and be like, okay, here's what I'm thinking. Try this. And he would play it and then be like, okay, it's not quite there, but let me do this. And I would like, you know, cut out parts of what he played or move things around and I can make it sound closer to what the idea in my head was. So I gravitated to it very long because I guess of that, like things like that, just the creative aspects. And I guess even today, like that's, that's my favorite part of it. That's like, I love being in the room with a band that I really vibe with and really kind of have the same creative I guess vision and being able to bounce ideas off each other like I feel like you really grow a lot as musicians to that collaborative effort and I don't know I just I just really enjoyed that <laughs> don't know how to explain it I think that's a lot of people's favorite parts of like the music industry is like being with people who you vibe with yeah oh yeah and doing a thing yeah like I always say my yeah. my goal is um you know if I get to pick and choose more of what I do because I wear a lot of hats right now is I'd rather have just like a nice little home mixing studio, work out of my house, keep overhead low, and do mostly mixing. Because the mixing part I always enjoy. It's very rare that I don't. Um, the tracking part is a mixed bag for me, for sure. Is There's times where I have a band that I really get along with, and I love it. It's great. I have an awesome time. And there's times where I have a client, and we don't really have the same energy in the room, or it, just, it doesn't work together the same way, or maybe I just think the singer's a dick. I don't know. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, basically, I just, like, those suck, and kind of just have to power through it a little bit and just be like, oh, yeah, man, that was great. Okay, cool. And still, like, give your all. You definitely want to do your job and not phone it in, but it's also, like, you're not, your heart's not in it as much. Right. So, I, I mean, I love tracking, like I said, with the right band. I'd love to get to a point where I can really only track exactly when I want to, but right now I'm still at a point where I'm taking right. almost every client. I still say yes to most projects that come to me unless it's really, unless it's just bad financially. Right. Yeah, I think... 
probably everybody in the music industry, if not most people, are kind of like, yeah, like the goal is basically to get to the point where you're working, you're making money, you're sustaining yourself, but the work kind of feels like broing around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> the work feels like chilling. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it's shit on a good day. It's definitely one of those things. Yeah. Like, it rings true some days where, you know, you make your hobby your job and, you know, you lose your passion for it or something like that. Right. Which, I, you know, there's days that definitely happens, I think. But I'd still take, even the worst day in the studio, I'd take over a desk, like, job nine to five. Oh, yeah. yeah. The worst day in the music industry, for, for me, cannot be worse than working in a restaurant. Oh, for sure. Or doing literally anything else. It couldn't be worse. Yeah, me serving food was a no-go. <laughs> <laughs> I had, like, one retail job in my life. I worked at Five Below, like, my senior year of high school. Five Below? Yeah. Oh. That was enough for me to be, like, never again. I'm just, I'm not. And I somehow have managed to stick to that. I have not worked a, quote-unquote, real job since then. Working in any kind well, of... teaching kind of counts, but... <laughs> customer service area is the worst, and I just never want to do it yeah. again. <laughs> Which is funny, because production kind of is a customer service job in a way, but it's... It's like my people. I'm not dealing with the Karens of the world. I'm dealing yeah. with the musicians, and I'd rather do that. The Karens? Oh, yeah. I have dealt with my fair share of Karens, and I would much rather deal with a shitty lead singer than a Karen. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm going to be wrong. Some of those lead singers, right. they can be, some of them can be rough. I, the worst <laughs> I ever had was a sax player. If you ever had to deal with sax players. Oh. Oh, in jazz band in high school? I don't know what it is about sax players, but they can be the worst. <laughs> Oh, I bet. So what would you say that the hardest part of mixing is? Mm, it's kind of a tough one because it's, it depends. Like it's such a very thing. Like sometimes, you know, it's hitting the mark for the client. Like really just making sure you, you get your input there. You, you make it like fit it to your ear. And so it sounds good to your ear because at the end of the day, that's all you have. Um, so you have to have a good ear for this stuff and, you know, you're going to mix to what sounds good to your ear, but also making it in line with the client's vision. Sometimes that's super easy and sometimes that's not. Like I've had clients where first mix I do, that's the way I heard it in my head, lined up exactly with how they heard it and I send the first mix off and like, great, perfect, awesome. They love it. No notes. And then I have other things where, you know, I'll mix it, sounds great to my ear. I'm like, cool, I'm really vibing this mix and I'll send back and like the client just shreds it apart. Like, oh, well, you know, I actually want the drums to sound more, more instead of and like it's weird things like that but it just all adds up to the point where you're like oh god okay fine and you have to tear apart your mix and redo it yeah it's i was just gonna say i was fully ready for you to say singers some singers make my day i've had some rough ones but like there's other ones that just like i'll say um shout out to gabby from port ellis like she's one i worked with and they're an interesting band personality-wise. Like, they're always ones that I had to, like, rein in a little bit, I think. Um, which, that's most bands. As a producer, your job is to very much... You always have to follow up with them, reach out a million times, and play dad a little bit. But, um, like, whenever she got in the vocal booth, she just had a voice, and it just made my job so easy. It was one of those things where I'd do a take, and it was perfect, exactly what I wanted to hear. But I'm not used to that, so I had to be like, I feel like I have to make you do it again, but I honestly have no notes on how to make that better. <laughs> so I'd be like, just do it like two more times just to make me feel better, just so I have it. But like, right, that was great. Backups. Yeah, basically. Like, yeah. I, I did more because I felt like I had to just out of, you know, working with not so great singers all the time. But like, she would do it. And I, this, it's funny because that was a project I tracked a lot of. And then when I started working at Think Loud, Chad was actually the mixer, well, the, the original mixer on that. And then I kind of like finished up the mixer. I did like a stem mix at the end of it. But, um, there's a point where there's something he wanted to hear with her voice. It was a track we had. I'm trying to remember what it was. I think it was like a double and he just wanted it. He wanted like a, a two takes of the same thing to do like a hard right, hard left, like panning of it to like a stereo effect. And he was like, oh, do you have another take of this part? I was like, well, let me see. And I was going through my hard drive and all that stuff. I opened the session. And I was thinking, yeah, yeah, I'll definitely have another take. I'd be rare. I'd only have one take of something. And that I only had one take of. And even his response was like, like I felt kind of bad. I was like, sorry, I only got the one. Like, I don't know what to do there. And he was like, oh, no, it's fine. I mean, it was such a good take. Why would you take another one? So, like, even he agreed that it was a situation. Like, she she was that good. She could do it in one take. And then I've had other musicians. Uh, there's a piano player in particular that comes to mind that thought he was a one-take wonder. And it was not. And that project was such a nightmare. Oh, like, God. <laughs> you'll get both. You get people. Like, I've had some people come in that are great and will do a million takes, even though the first one's perfect. Like, I don't know if you're... um. 
Parks and Rec fans. Yes. They're, you know the thing with uh, Rob Lowe's character, and he's, like, doing that PSA for um, Perkins, <laughs> whatever her name is. But he's doing that PSA, and she's like, oh, great, perfect. And he's like, okay, I want to do one more time, then another five times, and then another 25 times after that. I've got singers that are like that, and it's like, dude, this is perfect. Like, for some reason, they just feel like because they're paying for the time, they need to keep going. It's like, dude, the, right. the take was perfect. I mean, I can keep hearing record if you want, but fine. And then you'll get other ones who will walk in and be completely out of pitch and out of time. And then they'll be like, all right, perfect, next line. Like, uh, you, you sure you don't want to do that sure? again? Yeah, you, <laughs> you want to just take another crack at that one? Sure, yeah. And it comes down to self-awareness, too, because most musicians are not self-aware, especially on the local level. Yeah. The local level is rough. And you'll get some great ones that you're like, okay, you're going to go places. And there's other ones that you can just tell right away. It's like, you don't have the mentality for this. You know, you're driving me insane, you know, once you make it up to get signed or start working with, you know, bigger names. You're just, yeah, it's not going to be good for you. (laughs) (laughs) So what advice would you give people who want to go into mixing? Honestly, just start doing it. Like, I know that sounds like a non-answer, but it's one of those things that it comes down to just so much experience. And it's a field where you have to just kind of grind for a while and you really have to pay your dues in a way. I kind of hate saying using that phrase, but it's not a, a field where you just, you know, graduate college and then you're going to get a job and all that stuff. Um, and it takes time to build that career. So the sooner you start doing that, the better. And you have to understand that you're going to suck at first, unless you're some kind of prodigy or just, you're most likely going to suck at first. And your first hundred mixes might be terrible. And then you get that one, 101 is finally like, okay, this is t- like listenable. And then you may have another fi- 50 mixes after that that suck. Then you get another one that's good. Like, it's kind of like, uh, can I swear on this? Or Yeah. I mean, we have been. Okay, um, cool. You're our teacher and you're asking us, Dan. <laughs> I don't know what your audience is right now, okay? Neither do I. <laughs> but it's the shit to gold ratio, basically, is, you know, you're going to start with a lot of shit and you'll get a few little pieces of gold in there and gradually want to shift that ratio and get more good mixes than bad. But it's not like even once you get your first good mix that all your mixes are going to be good after that. It just takes a lot of time and effort. It's just like playing an instrument. It, it just takes practice. So, you know, if you're sitting around waiting for, like, permission almost, like, that's one thing that bugs me, I guess, in academia and looking at some students is, like, some of them feel like it seems like they need permission to start doing things. To be like, they can't go out and find a band to record on campus or use something. Like, they, oh, they're right. looking for permission to do it or be assigned it as a project or something. It's like, well, that's not going to get you. Like, I'll assign you some stuff like that as a teacher, sure, and you'll get some experience, but... I, there's no way I could ever realistically give you enough assignments that would give you the amount of experience you need to do this professionally. It's just not possible. So like I will guide you the best I can and try to do it. So you're practicing in the most efficient way, the same as like an applied instructor would for an instrument, but it's mm-hmm. down to you to do the work. And like, you have to do the work outside of the classroom as well. So like I said, just kind of, if you want to do it, just start looking up resources, finding out what you need to get started, like get a doll or something like that. Look up stuff. Like there's a lot of great resources like Nail the Mix from Unstoppable Recording Machine. There's the Mix of the Masters stuff. Steven Slate and his company, Slate Digital, has the Slate Academy. Like these are all really great courses in learning how to start in production. And they'll even give you tracks that you can start practicing on, things like that. Like it just, it, it takes a lot of time. Like even me right now is I do a freelance thing where I do this stuff and then I also teach. Like I'm not doing recording 24-7. Maybe one day I will be or something like that, but that takes a lot of time. And some people will never make it to that level and that's, that's okay. It just, it, yeah, it takes a lot of time in this industry. You're never going to walk into a studio and be like, here's my degree. And sounds like, okay, cool. Yeah, you're hired. They're going to be like, okay, what's your body of work? Right. And again, you just, you have to be able to prove that. And it's just like, you can't sit around and wait for someone to give you permission. You just have to go and start doing it. Cause it's going to suck either way, honestly, like you're not going to be good at first and that's just is what it is. And you have to just keep doing it until you get better and kind of push through all that. Yeah. And I, I feel like if I don't know about like being homeschooled, but maybe the same principle applies, but if you went to public school or charter school or private school, like not homeschool, right. I feel like they bore it into your brain. Like you have to ask permission to do anything. And then you get to college and college is like still school, right? And you don't own that studio. Like they train you your whole life that you can't even go to the bathroom without asking. And if they tell you no, then you you can't pee. You just can't pee. Like, what is that? Who decided that? Right. That's crazy. Who decided that? And yeah, you're right. It it makes a big impact. And it kind of takes you a second to be like, oh, 
this door is not locked. I can just open it. Mm-hmm. I pay. I pay to go here. Yep. Like there's a studio manager. If I go on his calendar thing and say I'm gonna be in the studio, he looks at it and says, "Cool, then I'm gonna be in the studio." And that's how the real world is for the most part. I mean, yeah, there's still like rules you have to follow. Like the thing is, you know, with the right. college, you should be booking the studio. You should be following the rules set in place to kind of keep it orderly because otherwise we have a bunch of people right. mobbing stuff or, you know, things just don't work. It has to be efficient. But at the same time is you can still do that. Like you don't, it's right. like you're getting barred from the studio or something like that. And I've given access to uh, the studio to people who wouldn't have it because they haven't taken the required classes yet and stuff like that. Now, for me, that's a situation of, proving yourself like if you show that you really want to do it and you really like you're interested in this stuff and i know you're going to use that studio time wisely i will give it to you you know as early as you basically need it Mm -hmm. but the reason i have then there is a little bit of filter there is there are some people who i know want to just record their mixtape in there or something and they don't really have respect for the gear and that's a big one for me too is the respect for the gear because you know we only have so much budget and if you're in there and you're like treating it like it's a party and you spill something on the console or something like that and now we're out 10 grand because that console is not cheap you know there has to be some rules to avoid stuff like that but that being said is you know if you really want to do it it shouldn't be that much of an ask for you to like just show up and help out on a few sessions like that's really right. what I have people do is hey you want to get access to the studio early cool come to the classroom session on saturday and hang out and help out like it, it's not that big of an ask if you really want to do it but it mm-hmm. also weeds out those that just kind of want the studio for the accolade because i feel like that's part of it too is especially in certain genres it's like the studio is an accolade yeah. like oh i recorded this in the studio and like not my bedroom but mm-hmm. billy eilish is cool i don't get what the dealio is like just because it's a studio like uh yeah i mean i've had <laughs> like clients especially at think lot because it's such a beautiful studio right i've had clients over there that they spend a half hour just taking pictures and video and want to do like an instagram live thing and to a point i'm fine with that like i'm not you know, saying you can't do that. It's an awesome studio. Cool. But at a point, I'm like, okay, guys, can we can we get to work? Like, I mean, you're paying me to be here, so I don't care. But at the same time, can we can we get to work? Um, like, they're almost there more so they True. can just be like, I'm in the studio than they are to actually get work done. Um, and what can be fun? It's the music industry. We're making music. That can be a lot of fun. That's fine. I don't care if you want to do a live video while you're doing your take and stuff. Like, we'll have fun with it. Um, I've jumped on plenty of live streams with clients and stuff like that or made stupid little videos with them in the studio just to blow off some steam. It's fun, but like when that's all you want to do and you're not taking it seriously of actually getting in the room and making some music, it's, it feels like a waste of my time. Right. Even though I'm getting paid for it, it feels like a waste of my time. Right. Yeah, and I, I'm going off of, I'm assuming the people listening to this are like college kids or kids going into college. You also like, you know, we're talking about having bands or artists in the studio. Like you can just go in there and be like, I want to get better at Pro Tools so I can work with bands book the studio and click on things yeah even get like your friend's band or whatever that's on campus yeah and go and record them like i mean i'll even find if people want to make some money at the studio like that becomes a different thing so the policy with that is if you're charging a client to be in the studio then you just have to be paying the rental rate of the studio as it's a commercial session so same as anyone else that would come in and use that studio um and pay for it like commercially you just have to basically be paying that charge to the studio itself for the room rental which is but i mean you can do that and you know that rate for students is pretty low so you can charge that rate to the client and then charge on top of that and make profit like you can charge another 15 bucks on top of the rental rate and then you're suddenly making 15 dollars an hour like you can do that you're allowed to do that that's perfectly fine i actually encourage it just be smart and responsible is really the only ask yeah like i tell all my friends who go to other schools i'm like if you just need to record something come to me I will not charge you a stupid amount of money. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's weird to me that like that's out there and maybe I need to advertise it better. Um, But at the same time, I know there's students that do know it. And it's like, you're not taking, like if that was presented to me as a student, I would have been like, you mean I can get paid and do something I like doing? Well, fuck yeah. (laughs) Like I would have been all over that. But it's just, again, I feel like it's the permission thing. It's almost like they feel, even if they want to do that, they feel like it's unattainable for for some reason because they need permission or something and you know going back to your point about school it's just i feel like that is a problem with our education system early on is it so much of like you have to ask permission it's just so wild that like for 18 years i had to ask another person to like leave a room Mm -hmm. and then when you when you leave that system they expect you to forget about that like yeah i didn't spend ridiculous honestly 18 years raising my hand Mm -hmm. to sometimes be told no you cannot have bodily functions like (laughs) so then you get to college you're like all these things i'm allowed to do 
like I can just leave and pee and the teacher's not right. going to be mad at me. The funny part is you can definitely see there's some people that can take that ball and run with it and they use their new freedom responsibly. And there's some people who don't <laughs> like don't show up to any class, yeah. don't do anything. It's just like, you wonder if they would be slightly better off if it wasn't still in their head. They had some level of freedom. Yeah. And this is like the rubber band effect where they went from being told everything they had to do, like when they ate, when they slept, like they were literally had their lives dictated to them. And now some of them are right. on their own and can do whatever they want. It's just that rubber band effect of like, well, I'm going to do literally whatever I want and not do it responsibly. My, my freshman year roommate was exactly like that. He was this, he was Oof. the stereotype of the guy. No matter what time of day I came back from class or whatever, he was still just in the room playing video games. He never went to a single class. That's terrible. That's yeah. like, yeah. I feel like, it didn't last long. <laughs> you know, there are, there are still rules. Like there are rules that you have to do in life. Like when something is due on a day, you turn it in on that day. It's that. I think there's also a level of just self-imposed, like discipline. It's it's discipline of like, it I don't is. have to go to class, but I probably should, especially if it's something I actually give a shit about. Right. Yeah. And I feel like it. everybody's different. Like I, like with the school thing, I cut the cord early. I was like, like, I'll just, I'm just going to say it. We can cut it out later if we want to. I'll, I'll think about it. But I was like, if I'm getting my period currently in this moment, I'm not asking you. I'm leaving. And as you should be able to. I just made that decision one day. I was like, this is bullshit. And I just started leaving the room. Do I recommend that to middle and high school children? In a sense, in my heart, yes. But I had a very good relationship with my teachers. And they were like, well, if she doesn't come back, she knows what happens. Yeah, that shit happened to me because I, like, asked teacher to go. And she and she was like, no. And I was like, but I need to. And she was like, no. And then an hour and a half later, I was like, can I go? Like... <laughs> It's insane that, like, that would ever be an issue. Like, that should never be an issue of you need to go take care of something personal and someone's going to tell you you can't. I know. And that definitely, that's the mindset that carries over into being like, oh, am I allowed to just go play the piano in the 114 room? Like, am I allowed? Like, I've had people ask me, like, oh, you're just allowed to play that? Like, yeah, if there's nobody in there, it's it's a piano sitting there waiting to be played. Basically, it's not locked. You can you can touch it. <laughs> you can just right. go into classrooms that are empty, mm-hmm. and you can just like use the projector if you want to look mm-hmm. at something big. Yeah, like it's so wild, and I, it shouldn't be wild because it should be normal. But it's it's yeah, so yeah. strange. <laughs> like it should be normalized to have that freedom because I think it'll teach a responsibility at an earlier age that a lot of people just don't get. I was actually lucky. I went to a college prep school for high school. Um, I went to a fancy school and I did not fit in there at all. But the nice part of it was that it actually kind of taught me a little bit of responsibility because they weren't as strict as a lot of other high schools. You could just leave the room a lot of time. There were some teachers that were still a little more strict and they would kind of, you know, be like, no, no, I don't care what the school policy is. You're listening to me. But most of the time they, they were able to treat you more as adults than I feel like most of my friends and stuff that were in public school got. And sometimes that was great. Sometimes like I definitely abused that sometimes too. Like I would just leave in the middle of the day and not come back. But mm. I know I remember like I would go like it would be like eight o'clock in the morning and I would have earbuds in and I would have a teacher be like, you know, you're not supposed to have those in. And I'd be like, I'm walking in the hallway. What? Like what like they had such a war on like headphone use and like yeah using your phone as your calculator it was like all these like weird arbitrary rules they still want like a, of the old uh you're never gonna have a calculator with you're not always gonna have a calculator with you saying yeah you know, they want to teach but, um, you that, <laughs> or surprise math. i yeah i also, do cash registers <laughs> do it for you <laughs> so as julianne said in our little intro we like to point out how all the parts of the industry connect so dan what do you look for in artists that you choose to work with? I mean, a few things. I mean, the obvious one that sounds kind of silly is just like, do they have the budget? <laughs> um, at a local level, that's a very relevant question. Like once you get up to working with more signed bands, it's not really a question. You just know the label's good for it if they're asking you. But with local bands, like there is this weird stage of, okay, you want my services, but what do you think my services are? Like there's some people that think they're going to get like a project, like a song for a hundred bucks and you have to quickly suss that out and not waste your time. Like I don't want to talk to that person and figure out their project and get all this stuff in, in line for them and then realize, oh yeah, my budget is a hundred bucks for something that would cost a grand or more. <laughs> like no. So like you have to find a way to get that out of them pretty quick. And that also comes down to just how seriously they take it. And that can usually be a good tell of if they have the budget and are financially responsible enough, really, too. It's just like, 
I don't know how to even kind of put it into words, but there is definitely things with local bands in particular. Like there's some that come in and they just, you know that they, they got their shit together. They are going to come in prepared. They take their music seriously. And then there's some that's just a local band that's been together for two months and they threw together four songs and now they want to record an EP. And there's a lot of those too. It's because there's like this weird thought that there's a milestone to being in the studio, which it is. It is a milestone for a band to be in a studio, but they feel like they can rush that milestone. Like they can go in and quickly write four songs and then go in the studio and they're going to have this great phenomenal sounding album when they're not practiced they're not rehearsed well enough the songs aren't that great like they're not good songwriters yet they still need more practice at that and to some degree i'll still take bands like that if they can afford it just because i think that can be a valuable learning experience for some because some people are just too stubborn and you'll tell them a million times that no 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 you need to go and like work on these things and then come back to me but a lot of times i think they do like the whole thing you do with your parents when you're a kid and they're like oh well no you don't really know what you're talking about you don't get me or like they think <laughs> they're somehow exempt from these rules that you're telling them and you're only telling them these things because you've seen from experience like i've worked with enough bands to know when you come in and you're rushing an ep and i know you're not ready to be in the studio if i tell you're not in the right. studio i'm probably right just based off my experiences i could be, be proven wrong maybe there's just some band that they're really talented musicians and they're just that great that can happen but you could also win the lottery someone does it's probably not going to be you. Right. So nine times out of 10, more than that, those bands that come in super rushed are just a nightmare to work with. So I usually turn them away unless I just think they're really good people. Like if they're a good hang, at least maybe I'll take them on so I can make it a teaching moment or just try to get them a great product. I've done that. And of course I'll still put in like the best effort I can with it. I'm not going to be like, Oh, you don't know what you're doing yet. And write them off. I'll still give it my all, but I kind of know in the back of my head where this is going to go or that we're not going to have the most optimal results. And outside of that, it's just how I get along with the band. And that's kind of the last thing. Like, you know, I've definitely worked with bands I don't get along with just to get the experience for myself, just to work on the project, you know, whatever, just to add something to my portfolio or because I just need to pay the bills that month. But yeah, I don't know. It just young bands can be great. They can also be a pain in the ass. I guess that's kind of the moral of all that. Yeah, I was like... Oh, I feel attacked when you were like, oh, yeah, when bands rush, I was like, throw back to that time Dan watched us record a song <laughs> in like three hours or something. I mean, <laughs> still, all at once. You know, that's still experience for you, though, too. Like, there is merit to it. Yeah. And, like, good thing you didn't go pay someone to do that. And um, we had a goal. Like, we yeah. were like, oh, we need to submit something. And we just want to, even if we don't get in, we want to say that we submitted to this thing. It was it was an experience, like you said. Yeah, it was a thing. Yeah, we weren't trying to, you know, put anything on iTunes or win a Grammy. <laughs> yeah. And one of the things, too, like, I say that because I've done it, too. I've been there. I've right. been in bands, and we're just really excited to record, you know, and you just you, you want to rush things because everyone has their aspirations of being a big rock star. So they want to hit all those checkpoints to being a big rock star as quick as possible. The thing is, it takes time. It takes a lot of time. You kind of got to be okay with that. If you're not, then it's going to be a rough road. Yeah. Speaking of being a rock star, um, <laughs> what do you think about the music industry right now? I mean, it's, it's weird because currently we're obviously in a really bad spot because of the pandemic. Outside of that, though, prior to all this, I think the industry was actually at one of its strongest points it's been in a while. It's just taken, I think the industry's had a little bit of an identity crisis. It very much wanted to stay the way it was in the 90s and early 2000s, and that just wasn't going to work anymore. And I think we're kind of getting to a point now where we're streaming and learning how to monetize that, you know, the music modern day snack being a thing and some headway on the political fronts of it. Like, we're getting to a point where the industry is pretty strong again, I think. We're able to have, you know, artists like Billie Eilish again, who, they, you know, that's the artist that won the lottery, basically, if they went from zero to 100 pretty quick. But, you know, deservingly, they're very talented. But, yeah, like, it's... It feels like it's at a strong point. Like, I, I don't... I can't, guess I can't say for sure. I'm not looking at numbers in front of me. I'd be willing to bet, money-wise, there's probably more money in the industry than there has been in a while. Uh, I think the biggest issue we have right now is still making sure that money gets to artists, because that, that's really where I think things have been kind of shaky is with Spotify, with like all these streaming platforms, we have been able to bring in a lot more revenue as an industry, which is great. Mm -hmm. Cool. But how much of that is actually getting to the artist? I think that's been a little bit of an issue. That's where things like the music modernization act come into play. And other things trying to right. suss it out. I can't, I wish I could talk more on the music modernization act. That'd be more of a uh, Dr. Young question. He follows that stuff more heavily than I do. But from what I know, it seems like it's a good thing. But yeah, I mean, it, it feels pretty strong in that respect. But obviously now we have COVID, which is, you know, wiping <laughs> out the rest of the industry. No more live events or anything like that, which definitely, you know, takes a toll. Like even me, like I, I freelance, I do plenty of live sound. All that stuff is canceled. Summer in particular, I usually have a lot of live sound gigs. No, not now. Right. 
So I'm taking a huge hit there, obviously. But there is a cool side of it in the collaborative and people learning streaming better and that kind of stuff. I think there is a cool unity with it. Uh, I'm kind of hoping that will pick back up. I feel like early in the pandemic, we had a lot of, like there was a lot of that and it was really strong and everyone was very communal about it. And now everyone's kind of getting cabin fever and I feel like there's more argument happening than collaboration. Yeah. But yeah. Um, no, I mean, it's, you know, obviously financially the industry is going to take a hit and it's going to take time to recover right. right now, especially with live sound and just live events. And that sucks, but kind of is what it is. And I think there is room right now too, for those that are smart, like this is the time to build your business, to work on things so that you can come out stronger. And the wiser of us will work on that now and the other ones will grovel and freak out and you know i get it's a hard time i get it's you know something it is it is scary for sure i'm not discrediting that at all but there's something to being able to say okay it's a bad situation what can i do with it to make the best out of it like what can i do to provide value to people so like as an engineer right now one of the best things i can do is just um i use the term go giver it's there's a book actually i've mentioned it to you guys before recommend it to everyone but it's a it's a play off the thing go getter where everyone's like oh go get go go get it go get it like mine 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 it kind of develops that mentality the hustle and all that stuff and the go giver is more this mentality of being giving like giving services to people helping them out like you're when you take on a client it's because you actually want to help them out and be a better musician not because you want their money and having the mentality i think is very important in this industry especially now more than ever is like I'm trying to reach out and do test mixes for people for free or give free production advice for the singer-songwriter at home that really wants to get an album done, but they can't because everything's closed. And like, how do they do that? How do they create content? Because musicians right now, they can't perform live. They need to create content. Me as an engineer, I'm more tech savvy and I know how to create that content. So how can I help them? And a lot of times I'm not even charging them right now. If it makes sense for me to, I will. Um, and even though I'm using being very modest in what I'm charging, but a lot of times I'll just reach out and give, at least give free advice. Um, I think, again, the smarter of us are going to hopefully do that because that's really how you're going to build these relationships, network, and hopefully when all this is over and we can kind of get back to some sense of normalcy or whatever the new normal is going to be or, you know, whatever happens, like we'll recover eventually. And when we do, are you going to be set up to succeed or are you going to be set up like you the last, you know, five, six months, however long this is, you just sat around playing video games. Again, I get it's hard and there's definitely times where like, like I am a perfectionist and I always want to feel productive and I've definitely had my days where I'm just not and I beat myself up about it. But at the same time, you have to teach yourself it's okay to sit down and play some video games. Like it's both sides. It's okay to relax. It's okay to, you know, work on yourselves and you're be like mentally healthy. But also if you want to be successful in this industry now is can be actually be a really great opportunity if you play your cards right. Yeah, I feel like in a weird way, it's making me a better musician, I guess, or like giving me better musicianship. I don't know quite how to put it, but yeah. And yeah, like you said, you've definitely been very helpful to me personally, even because I was like, oh boy, they sent us home time to buy equipment if I want to do anything. And I was like, Dan, help me. I I have never done this before. (laughs) You're too I have like five emails from different students asking me stuff like that that I haven't gotten to. Okay, I got to take care of that. I think having time to just sit down and be like, I know the other day I was like sitting at the piano looking at like chords in a key and like one, four, five, six, like the Roman numerals and like how they come together and like looking at how other songs do it and like, does it work in this key also? And I was just having a great time and I was like, hey, look at me learning things, but like <laughs> enjoying it and like actually being able to figure stuff out, like having time to sit down and be like, I want to know this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's, you have so much time now, like learn a new thing. I know it's like, I'll say I, I got to, you know, err on both sides because I don't want to be that person that's saying, oh, hustle, 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 beat yourself, like, you know, grind to the bone and all that stuff. Because I know there's a meme that was going around for a while with, uh, it was like, a guy saying, if you don't come out of this, you know, with that side hustle started or I don't know, he's like listening a bunch of things like you have. To, if you don't come out of this, it's because you're lazy, basically, was the was the mindset of, oh, if you don't come out like better or like more financial equipment, it's because you're lazy. It's like, well, no, like this can be a traumatic time for some people. And like there's there's that side of it. And I never want to discredit that. But for those of us that are mentally capable right now, this is a time where you can learn a lot, teach yourself a new skill work on a business idea you had or something like that be entrepreneurial like you know be smart about it don't beat yourself up i'm kind of preaching to myself here a little bit too because i'm definitely the kind of person that beats myself up and like if i have a bad day like the last two days here have not been very productive days for me and i will fully admit i've been a little down on myself because of it but at the same time i have to keep remind myself it's okay there's always tomorrow you can go nose the grindstone again and make it work like if you're just fine you can't focus at this time probably because 
you're just not mentally equipped to at this point and you should relax and find ways to decompress or do whatever you need to do to get yourself back to that position recharge and go back at it head first yeah i mean they put avatar on netflix so <laughs> i have been watching way too much of that with my kid <laughs> it's like one of the few kids shows where i can be like i can tolerate this cool yeah exactly i was like oh my god avatar it's back <laughs> and i was like do i need to sit down yes what am i going to do while i'm sitting down watch avatar i mean if we're gonna be in the, that, that tangent i just really hope i'm, I'm kind of hoping that the live action version is just a little darker because i love the ideas they have in avatar it's very much it's got some good themes in it for sure that can resonate yeah. with older audiences and also you know the people that grew up with avatar are older now they're in their 20s for the most part so and that's who's gonna watch it for the most part yeah so i'm kind of hoping they cater to that audience that's my little side there i'm gonna be a little disappointed if it's still as campy i'm hoping they take it slightly more mature just slightly it doesn't have to be like gory but... right like i need it to be like if cartoon network was the original network <laughs> that did avatar like I, yeah like like but like cartoon network in like the good days you know what I mean? Not Teen Titans Go Cartoon Network, like the regular Teen Titans. The original Network. Network. <laughs> yeah, <that>. like <laughs> the good days. So uh, in this industry, we feel like there's often a moment of unexpected validation when you realize how much you've grown. And here on Back Me Conversations, we call that the shut up and let me do it moment. And you definitely know the origin story of the shut up and let me do it moment, so I don't have to tell the story again. But can you tell us about your shut up and let me do it moment? I feel like you're going to have more than one of those because it all depends on the circles you're in. Give me more than one. We got a little time. Well, I'm trying to think back to like when I was a student. That's probably when I would have had my first one. And it's like that shut up and let me do it moment because I knew I, I realized I knew more than like some of the other people in the room, like as in the other students or something like that. I guess I'm trying to think of like a very specific time. But overall, it's just when I became more of a leadership role with YCP Records, what it was at the time. Um, and I was like the mixed mass department head. Like, I guess I'm thinking more moments of validation for me, which would be, I guess, yeah, when I got that role, even again, when I got hired at the college of like, oh, I actually did make an impact. That was validating in a way. You know, none of my peers that graduated the same time as me got that call. So cool. Okay, that's validating. And then even like when I got the job at ThinkCloud, like only three of us were hired. It's not like I applied for that job. Chad just reached out. So that's another moment of like, okay, cool. Someone that knows their shit actually wants me to work with them. Okay, so that, that's validating. And even just like, sometimes I'll have, you know, conversations with guys like Carson and Grant or something like that, or like I was hanging out with Carson one day at the studio and he was like, oh, you want to come listen to some mix? And like actually wanted my input and stuff on mixes. So like when people that like I see as better than me are like, hey, I want your opinion on this. Like that, that's very validating. That's like, okay, cool. Well, then you think I have something of value to bring to the table. So that that's good. I can't, yeah, I can't think of like specific, anything too specific right now. It's, it's kind of just a lot of moments like that that kind of tell you, oh, cool. Like someone else actually besides myself thinks I'm good at this. Awesome. I'm not just egotistical about it. And it's also like, if you heard like of imposter syndrome, are you familiar with that? Yeah. Term? And I think that's come up on some episodes before. It's a big, I mean, everyone in the industry struggles with it. And even that's validating to know, I think in a way where, you know, like I've had conversations with bigger engineers than me, more successful engineers. And they'll have moments where like, yeah, I feel like I really messed up that mix. Like, I don't feel like I did my best. I'm like, dude, that mix is awesome. Like, great. Like, I don't know what you hate about it. But that's still to know that they still struggle with that. The same things I struggle with. And even young engineers, like everyone struggles with the same thing. I'll say, I mean, I'll name this guy because I don't think he would care. But Chad Taylor is one of the few that I've never seen too much, like exemplify that. I mean, even behind closed doors, he might. I don't know. I can't speak for the guy. But I'll say he's the only one, only bigger name I've worked with where I haven't actually heard him say it himself or like seen that moment where like there's that self-doubt or something because in this creative field I think that's we're really predisposed to that self-doubt because there's ever always everyone's always telling you, you can't do it like not even just other musicians or like things like that but you know your parents are like oh you can't make money on that you can't do this you can't do that so when you do get those moments of validation is really important um and for me it generally comes from just other people recognizing my skill particularly those whose opinions i really value and they i just hold them in high esteem or think they're really good at what they do yeah right and the imposter syndrome is so real because because really you're like these people around me are so talented so how can i justify having this job or this opportunity or whatever and they don't do you know what i mean because you're always in that little bit of like what makes me better like what makes me more qualified or whatever and it's it's very it's very strange it is and it's just it's always feeling like you don't belong or like you don't like i say how how it kind of comes up with me is i often feel like people are going to find out i'm not as good as they think i am does that make sense so it's like you know i get all these opportunities yeah. and also you know i've told my story of how i got my job at think cloud how i got to college like i never applied for those jobs so to some degree it feels weird where it's like it came very easily and it can leave just as easily. like i can lose those opportunities just as easily yeah so 
I do have moments where, like, even when I get a client or something like that, I have moments in a project where I'll be like, shit, I hope they don't find out I'm really not that good or something. Or, like, or like I'll look back at a project I actually still do like, like an old project I did. And there's that voice in the back of my head saying, oh, you just got lucky. It only sounds good because you got lucky. It's not that you're actually good at this. Right. And that's just, like, an ever-present nagging voice that you just kind of have to just tell to shut the fuck up. But, again, hopefully it's, it's comforting, and I have to remind myself this all the time, that everyone feels that in the industry. Even the big names feel that a lot of the time. You know, you get to see their social media presence. You get to see them on stage. You get to see the stuff where they seem very confident. But behind the scenes, a lot of the time, that's not the case. And they struggle with a lot of the same stuff. Not all of them, but I think it's more common than not. And generally, the ones that don't struggle with it are probably... They're just a different type of person. I don't really know how to explain it. I don't want to say anything, like, in a negative light. Right. But, like, they're just a different kind of person. They're, they're a personality, for sure, for better or worse. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah. So we got we got into some deep topics, so we like to to lighten the mood afterwards. So Dan, everybody's freaking dying to know what is your favorite food? My favorite food? <laughs> um tacos, I guess. I don't know. I'm a picky ass eater. I really am. Tacos, I like to play this food. I guess. <laughs> I like tacos. I really like he tacos. He says tacos, but every time somebody's like, Dan, you want Taco Bell? He's like, I'm going Tacos and Taco Bell are different. Okay, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Elena. That that's it's like, okay, do you want to eat a real food, like delicious beef and seasoning, or do you want to eat dog food? Like, do you want to eat trash two different things? and then feel trash for the next four hours? Don't get hours. me wrong. Like, I've, I've eaten I my fair share of Taco I said it because I knew Bell. you guys would get upset. <laughs> I will eat my fair share of Taco Bell, don't get me wrong, but I recognize what I'm eating, and it's, it, it's garbage food. Uh, yeah. So there goes your Taco Bell sponsorship. Sorry. <laughs> Taco Bell, please. <laughs> we didn't mean it. Come back. Um, <laughs> so is there anything that you'd like to accomplish that you didn't accomplish yet? For sure. Uh, if I accomplish everything I want by 26, I don't know. I feel like that'd be really boring. It'll be really boring. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I want to, I guess, get more into production, work with bigger names, get more label projects, kind of I guess my goal is to keep building on that, build my own name and business. Kind of get to the point, like I mentioned this briefly earlier, where I'd like to be more of a mixing engineer than like an all staying, all dancing, you know, engineer kind of stuff. Where, yeah, I just do more mixing. So get to a point where I can sustain myself just off of mixing income. Yeah, just kind of get to a point where, like, I go through ebbs and flows right now of stability where I feel like, you know, I can pay all my bills. I'm very comfortable financially. And other times where I'm, I'm not. So get to a more stable position there. I mean, like on a professional career goals, that's kind of it is just keep progressing down that path, um, have my own business, you know, build up more work for some bigger names. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so do you have a quote that describes you? Um, I think the one I use with you guys the most is figure it the fuck out. Yeah. So I'll go with that one. Yeah. That's the Dan brand. Yeah. I, well, I feel like yeah. it works for me because this goes back to like even me mentioning how I started fixing gear at ThinkCloud and stuff like that. I pride myself on being a good problem solver, like being a good creative problem solver. More than being an engineer, more than being a musician, I think that's actually one of my strongest skills is just being a good creative problem solver. So like that phrase, when someone said to me, kind of rung true of like, a lot of times you're going to be put in positions where you don't know what to do. In this industry, it's very common. Um, You may have to take some risk and take on gigs that you may not feel 100% comfortable with. And at the end of the day, you just got to figure it the fuck out. Says a lot and very little at the same time. Yeah, it's, like, in-depth, but, like, very simple. That's the best phrases, I think, though. Oh, yeah. Plus, it's got, you know, an expletive in it, which always hammers home for me. Yes. I don't really take things seriously unless I'm being sweared, like, sweared at constantly. I know, me either. <laughs> I should really change that, but, like, I really... Sometimes I'm really not paying attention until someone says the F word. Like, <laughs> wish I could change that, but here we are. I'll, I'll, I'll have an omission here on the podcast. Is I definitely swear more when I tell I can tell students aren't paying attention. Whenever I see everyone's eyes cling over, I'll just be like, oh, what the fuck? Just throwing that bomb somewhere. And it works half the time. I'll be like, ooh, someone's swearing. I haven't noticed <laughs> that ever, and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, I, I don't know either, but it seems to work. <laughs> I feel like young, you know, 18 to early 20 year olds respond to that yeah i've seen that it works <laughs> I, I think so i just gotta you know keep a lid on it so i don't seem like that old dude that's just like see i'm cool too i swear i don't want people shade that way it's more just like I, I mean i work in the music industry i swear all the time that's just you go to one live sound gig and you kind of just if you're ever sensitive to swearing you'll get over that pretty quick <laughs> Yeah. I know my dad always says to me, like, I wish I didn't teach you to swear. And I'm like, you take too much credit. Like, I go to school for music. <laughs> so I have a five-year-old, and I'm still having that battle in my head of 
do I just kind of like not censor myself too much or do I censor myself a lot? Because it's something I think if you at least you can normalize swearing enough in a way where a kid can know like they, they don't run away with it. it's not that rubber band effect like I talked about earlier. Whereas I feel mm-hmm. like some people, they're told not to swear their entire life, and then suddenly their parents aren't around, so they're like, oh, Aww. I can say as much as I want. <laughs> and they, that's the rubber band effects. But, like, I don't know. I think to some degree, too, if you kind of can teach a healthy amount of it to a child, they can understand that, like, it has its time and place, and when it's respectful, and when it's, like, you shouldn't do that. Yeah. Now that we went on our bi-podcast parenting tangent, um, <laughs> <laughs> do you have a favorite album? favorite album so i don't know if i'd say it's my favorite i just attribute this to a lot of what i got into music for and that's the uh, american idiot album from green day that was like my coming of age you know i was becoming a teenager around that time there's that album where like that kind of shaped my early music listening like you know when i stopped listening to the wiggles and dumb shit like that <laughs> and i listened to wiggles they were too young for me but yeah like any of that stuff and like really got into music and actually listening and enjoying music and connecting with an artist and stuff like that it was probably that album that got me into that band you know i don't listen to them much at all anymore every once in a while nostalgia listen to some uh, like boulevard broken dreams or something yeah <laughs> aside from that like currently my favorite album is constantly changing um right now i'm really digging the uh new polaris album for any metalcore fans out there but like that'll change you know next week valid valid so if you could have any job in the world, what would it be? Like, some, like you know, the opposite of what we talked about. Somebody would just hand you a job. <laughs> in the industry, outside the industry, or... Eh, whatever, whatever you, you want. Anything you want. Is it weird to say kind of just what I'm doing, but just on a higher level? Like, that's what I'm working towards, so... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's fine. We've gotten everything from that to wine, a park ranger. Wine connoisseur. Park ranger? Yeah, wine connoisseur <laughs> and park ranger. That was amazing. Yeah. I don't know, I'm sure there's other, like, weird, fun jobs out there that I wouldn't mind doing. Like, my other hobby, I guess, the thing I do uh, that's unique about me is I scuba dive. I do, I'm, like, advanced certification scuba dive. I have, like, specialties in buoyancy and other weird stuff. Yeah, that's my, my weird thing that no one knows about me. Um, although I haven't done it in years because I'm too poor to actually own most of the equipment, so I have to run it, and I just haven't gone back to it. So I haven't done a dive in upwards of five years, more probably more than that. But yeah, that's my, my weird hobby, but I actually really enjoy it, and we'll get back into it. What I should have done really if I want to make money is I should have learned how to weld and become an underwater welder because those guys get paid a lot of money, but they also have a very high mortality rate. Yeah, that's a... Uh... High risk versus high reward, bro. And that's, you, you basically have yeah, to pay a lot of money for that. It's literally going down to, like, ungodly deep deaths more than, like, any recreational diver would ever go. You have to have special equipment and all that stuff and then somehow use combustion underwater. I don't really know how that works. I've never studied it, but... <laughs> that's terrible. That actually makes I me... Know. Yeah, and build oil tankers, basically. No. It just makes me scared. It's like, can you take me to go look at sharks? Like, I mean, you'd have to be certified. Oh, I'd be able to afford a dive trip. I can't just take you out. I'm not a certified instructor. It's not snorkeling, Julianne. I know, but I my dad was watching this like shark thing, and they were like with the sharks, and I was like, I want to be with the sharks. I mean, it's like Mexico or some other country where they don't care to do anything in the U.S. You have to be certified, though. In Mexico, That's you can just true. go down. They don't care. They'll literally do like a two-hour class, and then you go dive in Mexico. Julianne, we should do that as soon as coronavirus is over. Yeah. <laughs> Those are my plans. I don't want I don't want to die. All right, so is there anything that you wanted to say that we didn't touch on before we sign off here on Backbeat Conversations? No, I think I got all my rambling and tangents in. Sweet, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for talking to us. Yeah. No problem. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Dan. I'm going to call it Dancast. It's the Dancast. Yeah. (laughs) I'll just take over the podcast, cool. Yeah. Hey, I am the one that gave you the idea, wasn't I? Uh, oh, yeah. We probably should have said that. <laughs> one time I was, like, in the studio with Dan. I think we were, you were showing me how to, like, make sure it's set up properly for rock band because I'm the rock band leader, and you were like, you guys should start a podcast. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, we should start a podcast. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Hey, I mean, they're, so, yes. they're all the rage right now. I'm about to. I'm, yeah. I just got hired to start producing a new podcast for a guy I've known for a while. I don't want to say it yet because I'm not. We haven't announced anything, but right. That should be a fun one. But yeah, so full full credit and shout out to Dan. But yeah, thanks for listening in to Backbeat Conversations uh, again every week Thursday, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. 
we're always gonna have a guest, you know, and we try to do like all levels of quote unquote fame, I'll say. So like, you know, your average Joe to our first episode we released was with Rudy Sarzo. So, you know, you get it all here, but yeah, thanks. <laughs>